My name is Taurus Dillingham. My dad mom got divorced when I was three. And then he left and went back to Washington to live here. But I stayed, you know, with my mom and my brother. So my mom would move all the time. So I never had a friend. She would move from here to here, and I would never go to school. My brother, he was one year older than me. He decided to go move back here to be with my dad. And I did it, because I was still a mama's boy, and I still wanted to be there, and I didn't. And no one ever disciplined me, until one day, I was 10 years old, and I finally, the school had finally, finally said to my mom, we got a problem. Your boy hasn't been in school, and he's been missing over 300 days. And then that's when she called my dad and said, you know, we got to do something. And my dad said, well, he needs to come here so we can get him into school so he can do something. And then I finally started school on that day in fourth grade. And everyone started being nice to me. It's the first time I ever had friends in my life. And I was like, Oh, wow, this is what it feels like to have friends, and these guys are okay? This is weird. And then one day, my world got shook. It's that the teacher said, I got to call your parents. I'm sorry to tell you about your son. He's so far behind, he can barely read in kindergarten. But I was like, don't, don't take me nowhere. I need my friends. I don't have friends. You know, what can we do? You know, Bob, please don't let them hold me back. And then they just said, well, I guess all we can do is just let them just go through school. And that's all we can do. And then just have them in special classes. And so I had to hide everything about me because I felt so ashamed. By the time I was in seventh grade, I got introduced to marijuana. My brother was a dope dealer. My other brother was a gang banger. So I remember having a girlfriend and then one day she invited me to go to church. So I get into the church, I'm all nervous. So he started praying for people. At the time that happened, she had left and she didn't come back for a while. So I started going, hmm, they set me up. Cause she's, she's gone. So I know they set me up. I ain't, uh-uh, uh-uh, I ain't, uh-uh. And so he came up to me and he goes, hey, what's your name? I said, Taurus. And he goes, the Lord just spoke to me and he said, he knows your mom been praying for you a long time. And he said, um, your mom lives in Oklahoma City, huh? I said, yeah, how do you know that? He goes, the Lord told me. And the Lord said, he got something special for you too. He has a plan for your life. Can I pray? I was like, nah, you don't need to pray. I, I, okay. And then he walked away. And then he started praying for other people. And then she finally came back. And I said, like, what are you doing? Why do you, why you leave me by myself like that? This guy was all over talking to me and you must have told him something. She goes, I don't know what happened to me. I went to the bathroom and I couldn't make it out of there to go to the nursery to check on him. I got so sick. Now I know that, you know, the enemy was probably knew that I was like, I let's get out of here, you know, and take me out of there. But he made me stay enough to hear that. And all I can do is call my friends up on the phone and say, man, I can't believe this guy knew everything about me. And I just remember every time we'd be out in the bar or a party somewhere, I'll keep bringing up God. Like what he, I see doing through her life and I see things happening. And I just looked at the world and I just looked at everybody. I said, no one knows how to love anybody. Everyone just lies and steals and just, and no one wants to help you. Why Lord, if you're real, why are you allowing this to happen? And I remember at that time, the Lord spoke to me finally. He said, don't be a follower of those guys, follow me. And I said, I don't know how, but I will. And I remember getting up. I told my brother, I said, I can't live with you no more. I got to find out who Jesus is. So I left everybody, my whole family. And I went back to, 
to my ex-girlfriend because she was going to church. I sat down and listened to some of the uh, sermons that he was speak, preaching. And then he got up and said, we you know if anybody wanna give their life to the Lord. And I stood up and then he walked by and he seen me and he looked at me, he goes, and he just get, and then he gave a big old smile like, you're back. And I was like, yep. He goes, you ready, huh? I said, yeah, I am. And I remember him just started, I started saying the, the, the prayer. And once I said the prayer, all I remember is lights was out. And I could feel the love of Jesus Christ like lifting everything out of my body. I was like the happiest guy in the whole world that it didn't matter anymore. That he, all that matters is that I knew him. And I got up and I just, all I did is ran out there and I started calling people up. God is real, God is real, God is real. I'm telling you guys right now, I might not know how to speak or write or do anything now, but you talk about Jesus with me, I bet you I can tell you about that. That's all I know now. It's Jesus. Taurus, man, what a story. Love it. I saw that this week and I said, this Sunday, play it. I can't wait to see it. And I got to give him a big hug between services. What a, what a remarkable story. When he says, uh, some of the friends and family that he had, and he said, the Lord said to him, don't follow them, follow me. And I just got just got chills when he said that. I was like, isn't that the truth? Don't follow the people around you. Follow Jesus in your life. And some of you here today, and maybe you grew up and you didn't have friends, or maybe you don't feel like you have friends now, or you got a really, really rough start to your life, and you felt like you started behind everyone else. Isn't it cool that God can take rough starts and he can turn into incredible places today in your life if you'll let him? God never leaves you as he found you. And uh, man, if you want to see that story again, it's going to be online. You can go to our social media, our website. You can share that. I think Taurus would be excited for you to share that. And I, I absolutely love what he said there. So Taurus, thank you for sharing your story. Whew, awesome. Tell you what, you, you think like when you're in gatherings all the time and there's always worship and stuff like that, that you would get used to it, but you don't get used to it because it's not just a song, it's honoring the King of Kings. And when you're around other people that want to honor the King with you, there's something powerful that's happening in that. And it just, I don't know, it takes a lot out of me, but it's also such a joy as well. So we're in this uh, series, we're in part five of a six-part series, it's entitled Called to Be a Disciple. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 10, and that's where we're going to start off today. Before I get there, I want to mention two things in our country. Number one, uh, the Asbury Revival is happening in Kentucky, and some of you have been following that revival. It's happened at a Christian college. Um, it's going on close to two weeks now where they started worship and prayer, and they just decided not to stop. And so God is moving amongst a lot of young people. Listen, they're not, they don't have work the next day. They, they don't have kids to go figure out to get to school. They're just like, they want more of God. And people are flying in by the hundreds or even thousands. The city's being kind of overrun. But it's not just in Kentucky. It's popping up in different parts of our culture as well. And we're hearing some stuff about things happening here in Washington. In fact, one of my friends who's a pastor, he went to that school, and he wanted to go back to his alma mater and see what uh, was happening there. And he ended up praying with uh, three uh, guys that were uh, worshiping around him and this is what he said online he said the four guys the four of us guys uh, pastors in this circle he said we're all from the Puget Sound area we were worshiping in Kentucky and discovered we were all from the Seattle area praying for revival here uh, that's pretty cool when that thing kind of happens. By the way, some of you that have a gift of giving or hospitality, I'm hearing stories of people calling up the pizza restaurant saying, 
Please send 50 pizzas to uh, Asbury College. I want to pay for them. Please send $1,000 worth of Chick-fil-A to the revival for the worship team, the leaders. I like to think the lead pastor is getting some of that Chick-fil-A. You know, just like, I mean, it's just kind of cool what God is up to. And so, you know, here's the reality. Whenever there's, wild, whenever there's, there's like a revival, there's always wildfire. And my founding pastor had a great statement uh, in our, our church. He said, better a little wildfire than no fire at all. You never want to be in a move of God that there's no fire at all. So I'm excited to see what's happening there. Also, the second thing I wanted to just mention is that he gets us movement. Uh, maybe you've seen some of those commercials that he gets us. And, you, you know, I would watch him kind of like, what is this really about? Who's putting these things out? Is this a good thing? Is this a, like a bible center Jesus thing? Or is this kind of a weird offshoot? I'm not really sure. And so I was watching the Super Bowl as you were. I saw two commercials. One was this little black kid and this little white kid ran to each other. They have that big smile hug thing, you know, and it was beautiful. And just kind of some cool stuff in that commercial. So I like this. And the second commercial I saw was kind of the last three years and some of the struggle and some of the strife and some of the riots. And I kind of sat back. I'm, I don't know if I like this. And so then uh, um, I, it says he gets us, you know, kind of pushes you to the website. So since then, I've done some research, um, found some other pastors, people behind it. Lo and behold, some wealthy people in our nation are getting older. Listen. <laughs> Maybe that's you. And uh, they, they, they said, um, listen, we feel like it's our responsibility to pass the faith on, and we haven't done so great. So we want to hire media because they're aware that media is where it's at. And they wanted to use social justice issues to point people to Jesus because they know that's what their grandkids are really raised in and getting to understand. And so they're using some of those issues to point people to a website. And already tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people have checked in on Bible-believing websites and have been uh, steered towards bible believing churches through he gets us so it seems like it's it seems like it's good jury's always still out but whenever there's revivals or moves of God where people are sacrificing greatly to steer people to Jesus I'm always behind that so um, I'm hoping to pray for that and see those things continue to be healthy all right if you have your Bible Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus sends out the 12 uh, this text talks about the authority that God gives his followers the provision that God provides for his people and then lastly the persecution that at least the disciples there could face and probably you and I as well so in Matthew chapter 10, um, I want to ask you to maybe put your Bible down or turn your phone over because I thought it might be fun to do a little Bible trivia today. So I'm going to ask you, uh, what are the names of the 12 disciples? How many can you name? Now, if you can name three, then you're like, you're, you're golden, right? If you can name nine, if you can name 12, you should be up here, not me. All right, so I just thought it might be fun. So go ahead in your mind, just to kind of maybe list out, you know, one through, who I think of this guy, this guy, this guy. You know, Teresa, Bob, uh, Samuel, you know, it's, it's okay if you're wrong. There's no, you know, it's just for fun. But uh, how many disciples, how many think that you could name half of the disciples, half of the 12 disciples? All right. How many think that you're a 10 or above? How many are like, what's a disciple? <laughs> right. All right. Good. So we're, we're, we're represented well here today. All right. So let's go ahead and take a look at the first four disciples that are listed in the scripture. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and John. So James and John brothers, and then Simon and Andrew. So how many got the first four? Anybody know all those four? Okay, good. Let's go to the next four that we're going to list here. Philip or Bartholomew. Bartholomew has another name. It's Nathaniel. And so sometimes that gets us kind of confused a little bit there. And if your name was Bartholomew, you might go by Nathan, all right? You might, you might agree with that. Thomas, who's known as the doubting disciple sometimes, and then Matthew, who had been Levi, the tax collector. So we've talked about these four, Matthew, already today. In fact, we hit those two last week. All right, and then the last four that are listed in, in uh, Matthew's gospel, James. So here it gets confusing because we've got another James, 
right? So it's like, okay, yeah, for, yeah, I forgot. There's two James in there. So we got James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. So now we got two Simons. So this is just really getting difficult. And then we've got uh, Judas Iscariot, all right? Simon the Zealot, the word zealot means zeal, right? And so we kind of go, yeah, zeal. Like the Apostle Paul was full of zeal for the Lord. But a zealot is actually someone in that time who's like, like extreme, like they're, they're resorting to violence to throw off the Romans and they're actually plotting violence and they're walking around with daggers and things like that. So the zealots were kind of like, those were crazy intense dudes. And so, um, so, we, so it's really interesting because you got like, you know, you got fishermen and then you got like a tax collector and then you got a guy who doubts a lot and then you got, you know, Judas over here and you're kind of like, these are the people that, that the Lord selects because God never selects people that are holy by themselves. He selects people and he makes them holy. He, he doesn't select people that are somehow perfect. He calls you, and then he enables you to do what he's called you and asked you to do. So Mark chapter 6, verse 7 says he sent these guys out in groups of two. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm being sent out in groups of two, there are certain people I want to be with and certain people I don't want to be with. And I'm pretty sure I would get stuck with Judas. I'm almost positive that would happen to me. And you just kind of wonder, like, you know, did the brothers get split up together or who went with who? You know, these guys are close friends. And, and maybe what if Simon the Zealot, who hates Rome and hates tax collectors who work with Rome, what if he gets matched up with Matthew? That, that could be uncomfortable, right? And so these, these are the 12 that are sent out, the Bible says, partnered up and sent out. Um, it's an incredible moment. Jesus took these fishermen, betrayers, tax collectors, zealots, men with tempers, and he used them to change the world. And I came across a quote this week. I'm going to throw it on the screen for you. Ravenhill said this. He said, the greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy. Then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. Isn't that interesting? That God doesn't call holy people because there aren't any because we're not holy apart from Jesus. We're all sinners and we all need Jesus. I heard a speaker this week who said this. He said, my wife left me six times in one year. He said that had to be some kind of record. He said, I was an unfaithful man. And yet today he's this uh, powerful pastor and speaker. His message was anointed because God calls unholy humans. He transforms them and he uses them to transform others. One of the things that I don't understand yet is that God calls you then he like saves you, starts cleaning you up, and he says, I'm going to use you to go out in the world, and you're going to represent me to the world all around you. And whenever I read these scriptures where Jesus says, no, I'm going to send you, I'm going to call you, I'm going to use you, I always say, Lord, do you know who you're sending? Like, we're going to need a lot of the Holy Spirit and about 10 million angels, at least in Lacey, God. Like, we're just, you know, like how, you have a lot of trust, God, in your church, but if he transforms us and we're accomplishing things that are beyond us too big for us, it's because of him and what he does in our lives. And by the way, often your weakness becomes your greatest strength in your ministry. With well, a thing that you're like, I'm not qualified to serve because I got this issue, God often takes that and turns it into your strength. So Peter's like denying Jesus three times. Who becomes the bold, courageous one after that? Peter. God takes his weakness and turns it into strength. I wonder if Matthew, who was obsessed with money, became generous. I wonder if Simon the Zealot became a man of peace. The reality is salvation is the greatest miracle of the church. It's great that you get healed of something physically if that happens to you in your life, but the reality is we're, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven here, and the greatest miracle is, is salvation for mankind. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, lists 
uh, the disciples are listed, and then we get to the red letters where Jesus speaks. And this is what it says in verses 5 through 8. It says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel. They were going to, God's sending them there next. God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give freely as you have received. Don't you think that when Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I'm not going with you, now go heal sick people, that they're like, what? Like, I would be like, you want me and Judas to go heal people? Like, I'm not seeing this, Lord. Like, imagine the fear and maybe the questions going on in these guys' minds. Like, yeah, we're camping out in the fields and we're watching Jesus heal people. And it's so fun to be part of a movement. But for Jesus to say, hey, I'm not going to go with you. You're going to go out in groups of two. And you're still going to do these things. That would be challenging. That would be, it would have to take faith, wouldn't it, to do that, to go out together and believe that? So let's just talk for a moment about this a couple of terms here we want to understand. The first one is disciple, and we've talked about the definition of a disciple as one who follows their leader, their teacher, right, goes where they go. Another, the Greek definition of disciple really is the word learner. A disciple is someone who wants to learn and is learning from others. Now, here's, here's something that's important. These guys had been traveling with Jesus, these 12 men. They had been learning from Jesus, listening to Jesus. And the time has come for them to go beyond learning to something more than that. Not just believing, not just being a sponge and soaking up, but now you've got to pour yourself out. By the way, if you're always just kind of sucking up like the Spirit of God but never pouring it out, it's not healthy for you. Like, you've got to be pouring out what you're learning. You've got to be sharing with others, teaching others what you're learning. You can learn by watching, but you learn far more by doing. Somebody say amen. amen. Think about a four-year-old kid, and his dad says, hey, listen, um, this is how you hammer a nail. Here's a hammer. Here's a nail. Dad hammers the nail into a, a two-by-four. And that kid can learn that. and go, Oh, I see which end to hit the hammer onto the nail with. I see how to put your fingers there. But until that kid actually grabs the nail and the hammer, he learns a lot more by doing than just by watching. Wouldn't you agree? And that's true of us in our faith. Like we can watch and go, hey, that's awesome. I see that happening. But we've got to actually do it. We can't watch other people pray. We got to pray. We can't watch other people share their faith. We got to share our faith, right? And so we learn by doing. So Jesus is now calling in verse 5. He sends out the 12. Watch this. There's a new term. It's not disciples. It's apostles. Because apostle means sent out one. It's not just a disciple who's learning from Jesus. Now it's someone that's being sent out. And when we decide to follow Jesus, we become disciples. And he says, now go and serve me with your life. We are also becoming apostles, people who are sent out by the Lord. I like the, the understanding of this, um, of the sheriff. Now, imagine if uh, today, after church, you went home, and uh, there was a knock at your door, and you looked out the window, and there was a sheriff's car in the driveway. Oh, some of you are already nervous about this. Maybe you should come to the altar after church. And, and somebody in the house says, hey, there's a sh the sheriff is in our driveway. Or the sheriff is at our door. The reality is, in Thurston County, there is one sheriff, and he's probably not at your door, but one of his deputies is at your door. Now, here's what's, what's interesting, is Jesus is deputizing his followers. And, and what happens is, if, you, if somebody with the sheriff's uh, department shows up at your door and they have a badge, they are walking with the same authority as the sheriff, right? They're deputized. 
It's like the sheriffs there. They're in the same authority and the same power as the sheriff. They've just multiplied them by many times over. Well, Jesus says, listen, I'm going to push you out. I'm going to uh, share you. I'm going to send you out with authority. My authority is going with you. Now, that's a little bit more exciting, isn't it? I'm here. I'm one of Jesus' friends. I have no authority, but I, is there somebody I can pray for that's hurting here? That's not exciting, but when you say, I am here, and Jesus just told me that his authority and power is with me, is there somebody here I can pray for? And that's kind of exciting to realize that you're walking in the authority and the power of God in your life. Jesus spoke the world into being. He spoke authority over his disciples. He gave them authority. And listen, um, the followers of Jesus could say, well, Lord, wait, you're not going to be with us? Lord, we're just students. We can't do this. Um, sometimes I think we say that and are like, well, well, I'm just a student, What do I know? No, you're not just a learner. You're now actually a doer. You're being sent out as well. And followers of Jesus are not good enough to do what God asked them to do. Do you know this? Sometimes you look in the mirror and you go, but Lord, I'm not good enough. Can I tell you something? That's true of all of us. None of us are good enough to do what God asks us to do. If you're wading out into six inches of water and you're in the wave pool and you're like, hey, this is pretty cool, you might be good enough to stand there. But that's not what God's asked you to do. He's asked you to jump in over your head off the big diving board in the deep end of the pool and he has something great that he wants you to do. And it is too big for you. And it's healthy that it's too big for you because it forces you to rely on him in your life. That's what he's asking the disciples to do. Go and do something that's too big for you and I will show up in authority in your life. Wait, you want me to pray? You want me to go? You want me to speak, Lord? Yes, yes, and yes. True for the disciples and true for us as well. We grow when we are stretched, when we have to trust God and his help for something that we can't do without him. Please, church, don't just do things that you could accomplish without the Lord in your life. Of course your faith is boring. You've got to attempt something for God that you can't do on your own. Something that scares you, something that challenges you, something that stretches you. For some of you, that could get like, I'm going to read the Bible for three minutes tomorrow. It doesn't sound very stretching to me, but for some of us where we're at, that's a big deal. For some of you to like to lead a life group that would challenge you and stretch you, do it. Whatever it does that pushes you and challenges you, do what God's putting on your heart to do, especially if it's too hard for you. He will enable you to do things that you have no business doing because that's who he is. So where are you saying, wait a minute, God, you want me to do what? That's probably where we need to start. Verse 9 says this. Jesus says to them, it's already like I'm going to go and I'm not going to be physically with you. And then he says these words, don't take any money in your belts. No gold, no silver, no copper coins. Don't uh, don't carry a traveler's bag or or, or change of clothes or sandals or even a walking stick. Um, Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work uh, deserve to be fed. What What is happening here? God's provision. I want to look at that scripture and just remind you of this, that God will provide for you. Do you believe that? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, God provides. I'm in church. God provides. And then like life happens. Okay, God, I need words to say this moment. God, I'm going to trust you with my money, and I'm scared, right? God, I'm going to the in-laws. The Lord will provide. God will provide for. Listen, some of us right now, this is the honest truth. In the last service, the area that we're needing God to provide we're scared is we have a physical ailment in our bodies. And we don't know what the future holds. There's no promise that things are going to turn out right that we're going to have a long and healthy life, that we're going to have healing, 
We just say, Lord, I'm going to trust you even for my health. I'm going to trust you for my finances. Some of us are here and we're going, God, I don't know if I'm ever going to find the right person to settle down with in my life. Do we believe that the Lord provides? God will provide for you. He's teaching the disciples here, hey, listen, you don't have to be self-sufficient. Come on, recently we read in the scripture where, where, where it said very clearly that Jesus was talking to the disciples. He said, listen, I'm not calling the self-righteous because they won't respond anyway. I'm calling those who know that they're not righteous. It's hard for God to call a self-sufficient person. Does that make sense? I'm fine the way I am, Lord. I don't, I don't need your help. No, when we're self-sufficient, it's hard for God to help us. So God is calling you and he's saying, hey, it's okay if you're not sufficient. I'm sufficient and together we can do this. God will provide for you. The Lord uh, wanted to teach them that he provides and they need to learn it. You and I need to learn it. Go in faith. Don't go in your resources. Go instead in your calling. Go instead in obedience. God will meet the needs. He will give you the words to say. The part that I find interesting is he says, take one set of clothes. I'm interested. What are you wearing while you're washing your one set of clothes? That's a little awkward and uncomfortable. I am everything you need, Jesus says, and I'm sure they were scared. But every believer, every disciple, every apostle needs to understand this. Um, learn how to fully rely on God. Learn how to rely on God. Lord, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how it's going to happen. I can't fix it on my own. I can't throw money at it. I don't have enough money to throw at it. God, I don't have the words to say. Uh, Lord, we need a miracle, and I'm not a miracle worker, so I'm relying on you. God, I'm, I'm being thrown in front of some people. I don't know what I'm supposed to say to them. I'm scared to death. Fully rely on God. And then there's this in, really interesting, as Jesus talks about, you know, shaking the dust from your feet if you're welcomed or not welcome. But we get to verse 16, and I find this verse so interesting for the Christian world today. It says, look, I am sending you out a sheep among wolves. Believers amongst unbelievers, innocents who are trying to serve God amongst people who might be hostile toward the, toward the gospel. And he says, I'm looking, I'm sending you out a sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. Some, some of your Bibles say, be as wise as serpents and, and as harmless as doves. What, what is Jesus saying there? I think there's a lot for the church to understand and listen and learn here. And, and I hope that we are learning it. Arrange your words carefully. Be, be wise in how you interact with people, especially people who might be anti the mission of God. Think about what you're going to say and how it will be received. Don't just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Put your thoughts together. Arrange your words carefully. How you say it matters. Be wise. Be, read the room. Know what to say. I remember um, crossing um, borders. In, in different nations as missionaries on trips and, and we, we brought money in to help the church that we were building or the ministry that we're starting in different churches and locations. And, and man, when that person looks at you and they say, what are you doing in our country? You don't say, I'm a missionary and I have $10,000 in my wallet. <laughs> be wise, be shrewd, be, be smart in how you interact with even the people you're trying to help. There's just wisdom in that. And, and I wonder sometimes if the church could just stop and go, hey, um, if, the, if, if the devil is cunning um, and certainly not innocent, Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be smart. Help us to be thoughtful of our interactions and our words with others 
in our lives. Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm sending you guys out. You need to be wise in how you interact with people. There's going to be two of you in a city where you may not be well-liked, and you're, you're sharing a message, so, so share it wisely. The apostle Paul was incredible at this. He'd go into a town like Athens, and he would share from their own uh, beliefs and their own idols, and he'd start turning them towards Jesus. Why? Because he understood that verse. He's being wise, shrewd, smart, and how he interacted with people in the world. Listen, disciples are people of action, and there's times in your life where you're going to face persecution because you follow Jesus. If it hasn't happened yet, it eventually will. People will not like you because you have a standard for your life. Even if you're not even pushing that standard on anybody else or hoping that standard for anybody else, even though you know it might uplift their life, people are, are not going to like standards that you even have for your own life. The scripture says the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. Disciples are people of action. They're not just believers, but they're people who are doers in their life. And persecution is going to come to those who live for the Lord. Jesus was saying to the disciples one day, listen, if you've left father and mother, and he's looking at the guys that have left their family for three years to follow him. And he looks at him and he says, hey, if you've left a lot, if you've sacrificed a lot to follow me, understand that you're never going to regret that. There's going to be a reward for you in that. All the ways that you sacrifice. Peter says, Lord, we've left our homes to follow you. And watch Jesus' response to Peter. During this persecution, hardship, and sacrifice, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Wow. Listen, the Lord is going to take care of you in this life. I need to say that again. The Lord is going to take care of you in this life. Why, why we can, how can we be people of worry if we know that the Lord's going to take care of us in this life? But better than that, he's going to reward us and take care of us for eternity. What really matters, like the real life, like we're in the preseason, but that's the real life. The Lord is going to take care of you in eternal life. He's going to reward you for all the ways that you give of yourself to advance his kingdom. And many of you sacrifice regularly of your finances, of your time, of your comfort zone to serve the Lord in your life. Why? Because you believe that he is sufficient. You believe that he can take care of you even if you face persecution. You believe that he can take care of you even if your own family or friends turn on you, that the Lord is sufficient. If the doctor gives you a bad uh, result, you believe the Lord's still gonna take care of you in this life and in the life to come. Other people are, are freaking out about the stock market investments, and, and you're being wise, but you're believing the Lord's going to take care of you because you're not just living for what the world sees. You're living to please God in your life. Amen? So uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come out here, and I'm going to challenge you as we get to the end of this gathering to stop and consider what you, where you are finding yourself self-sufficient and where you are saying, listen to this, God, your grace is sufficient for me. I don't have to know all the answers about next year or the future. I'll walk with you. And if that means my job changes or I move or my family life changes or my health changes, Lord, whatever happens, you know where I'm supposed to go to college. You know where my life needs to take a turn right or left. Your mercies are new every morning and your grace is sufficient for me. So this is our prayer during the song. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to minister to you and maybe you to 
respond to God. Lord, I don't want to be self-sufficient. I don't want to meet my own needs. I don't want to be that one disciple who packs extra clothes and extra money and doesn't trust that God can take care of me. I'm going to trust the Lord will take care of me in this life. So I'm going to invite the team to minister in a song and ask you maybe just to listen and respond and pray to God. And maybe if the Lord's really ministering to you at the end of the song, we're going to stand. You can stand during the song if you want. It's just a way of saying, Lord, I'm trusting in you. I'm putting my full trust in you. And I know you can provide for my needs. Yeah. 
and my faith will be my sight. And all my present sufferings will be fine and left behind. I'll be standing in your favor, your mercy and your grace. Cause they go on forever, they'll still go on to your feet where you are. Let's bow our heads together before the Lord, can we? We can press into God or we can decide to go without Him. No matter who you are today, would you make sure that you say out loud to the Lord hears you, Lord, I'd rather press into you and live for you even though there's a lot I don't understand than try to walk through this life without you. Lord, I need you and I invite you into my life. Lord, please heal what needs to be healed inside of me. Please forgive what needs to be forgiven inside of me. If you're here today and you need to start fresh with God, would you just raise your hand really high and say, I need to start fresh with God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Too many to even count. Hallelujah, thank you, thank you. Probably 15 of us, anybody else? Wow. God's Spirit's here. As you take this moment and pray, I'm gonna give you a few things to respond. And if, if you're responding to the issue I bring up, would you please also raise your hand and then we'll all pray together. Pastor Peter, I'm here today and I am thinking a lot about my future and I think a lot about being married someday to the right person and uh, or maybe maybe the relationship I'm in didn't work and I am trusting God for my future spouse and rather than worry and stress out about it I'm going to work on me and let God be gracious and sufficient to provide that person in my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand really high? Absolutely. Anybody else? I think about this, and this is important to me, and God, it's on my heart. Okay, you can put it down after you raise it. You're here today, and you have a physical need in your body, and you can't control it, and it's scary, 
And today you're saying, Lord, I believe you will provide. Your grace is sufficient for me, even in this medical, scary need. Would you raise your hand? God, I'm trusting you for my health. Yeah. And lastly, if you're here today, and whether there's a financial need in your life or whether you just have a history where it's just hard for you to trust God for provision financially for your life, would you say today, Lord, I will trust that you will provide everything that I need, whether I think I have enough, don't have enough, have too much or not enough, I'm going to trust you with finances. Would you raise your hand? God, I need your help. You're sufficient. You are the God who provides. Okay, let's all pray. Lord, we lean into you. We don't walk away from you. Lord, there's a, a lot of easy things that don't go right in our lives, lots of easy reasons to turn our back on you when things don't go the way they, we think they should. But Lord, of course we want to walk with you. Of course, you created us, Jesus. You came for us. And so, Lord, today we press into you. God, some of us are here. We have a medical need, God, and it's terrifying to us. It could be life-threatening to us. And so, Lord, we choose today to say, God, I need you, and I trust you, and I'm putting my life in your hands. And, Lord, with some of us today, we have a great hope for a future relationship, and we could try to make that happen on our own, but that always goes sideways. And so instead, God, we will decide today, I'm going to work on who I am, be the best person I can be, and trust that God will supply the right person to be my spouse. And Lord, some of us are here today, God, and we have a financial area in our life. It's just hard for us to trust and to believe and know that you'll take care of us. We read about these disciples taking no money and, and no extra clothes, and, and somehow, God, you just met their needs, and it terrifies us. Lord, today we choose to trust you for whatever may come, because one day, God, this world will be over, and all that stuff is just passing through, but our soul enters eternity. So, Lord, today for these issues and more, we decide today, I am not self-sufficient. The Lord is sufficient in my life. And his grace is sufficient for me. And tomorrow if I wake up, his mercies will be new tomorrow morning and the day after that. Lord, today, thank you for your voice that reminds us that you care, that you know, that you're with us. Lord, help us to be disciples and help us to be apostles that we learn from you and we pour out in the world around us. Thank you for your presence, your spirit here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need to stick around and just spend some time in prayer, you can always do that anytime in this church. God is doing great things. Love the spirit in the room that you're helping to bring, all right? God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.